You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Is the third man in the Shadow Brokers leak soon to be revealed? ISIS enters its diaspora phase. Monero Miner targets Max. Google Play ejects apps with the tizzy backdoor. Scarab ransomware is blasted out in the spam campaign. Uber's value takes a hit post-breach disclosure. Barracuda Networks is taken private. Trend Micro buys Immunio. And the Pittsburgh FBI office takes another whack at Chinese industrial espionage. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, November 28, 2017. In a developing story that we'll be watching, Brian Krebs thinks he has a lead on who the unknown leaker was whose device was looted for alleged NSA tools that found their way into the hands of the shadow brokers last year. It's too early to name individuals or companies, but the third person may become known before too much more time has passed. ISIS, effectively ejected from territory it once controlled, appears to be entering its long-anticipated diaspora phase, which informed observers expect to be marked by more focus on cyberspace. For the foreseeable future, this is held by most to mean increased attempts at online inspiration. There may be an attempt to re-establish a territorial sanctuary, possibly in the Philippines, and there are signs that the former caliphate may be trying to attract women to its cause, in part through online matrimonial appeals. Criminals continue their attempt on cryptocurrencies. Security company Sentinel-1 today announced their discovery of a new cryptocurrency mining Trojan, OS-10 CPU Miner, that targets Max. It's after Monero cryptocurrency, and it appears, Sentinel-1 researchers say, to have borrowed some of the tactics and techniques used in the adware underground. Google's latest sweep through Google Play turns up several apps equipped with the Tizzy backdoor. Tizzy has typically been used to install spyware on target devices. There are other concerns about Android security, and especially privacy. A study by Yale University concludes that about three-quarters of Android apps come with third-party tools that track users' activity. Forcepoint warns of a massive spam campaign that's distributing Scarab ransomware, The crooks sent out about 12 million infected emails over a six-hour period. Ransomware is enjoying a burgeoning demand in the black market. 
Carbon Black has reported a 2,500% rise in ransomware sales since last year, so the hood still seem to think this is the coming thing in crime. Ransomware is also growing more targeted and more difficult to detect. No one seems to be buying the whistling-in-the-dark Uber did before its recent shake-up and breach disclosure. It strikes most observers as unlikely in the extreme that the criminals who hacked the ride service actually destroyed the data they stole. There had been speculation last week that the company's value would take a hit, and we now have a better idea of what the breach discount may be in this case. SoftBank's offer is out, and it seems to be about 30% lower than pre-disclosure expectations would have put it. Security analysts face a seemingly ever-increasing stream of available data, and separating the signal from the noise can be challenging. Properly dialing in what generates an alert and demands your attention can make all the difference in the world. Brian Ware is CEO at Haystacks Technology, and he shares techniques for using machine learning to help cut through the noise. So often we discover that a breach has taken place months after that breach took place, When you think through that, then you realize that the data was there uh, at the time that the breach was taking place. Maybe there was some data there before the breach took place, um, but that data wasn't actionable. You know, you couldn't make a decision from it. And so we're in this era of artificial intelligence and machine learning specifically, where there's a great opportunity to build algorithms that look for the kinds of anomalies or look for the kinds of changes that could be indications of uh, you know, some kind of a threat and something that you'd like to bring as an alert you know, to, uh, to an analyst or to a decision maker. So the approach that, that we've taken at, at Haystacks is uh, what we call our model first approach. And that is that we build models that represent what experts believe or what analysts would do if they were trying to evaluate, uh, is this a real threat or not? Or is this a suspicious event or not? And those, those models are very human and conceptual terms. Uh, it's a form of kind of AI that is called Bayesian networks. So these are probabilistic uh, networks that represent the belief of experts and the uncertainties in those beliefs. And then once we have that model, then we can connect it to all those alerts that come from other machine learning approaches uh, or specific pieces of data. And so what it allows us to do is to really operate at scale in the sense that if you're generating potentially hundreds of thousands of events per day, you'd never want to have that many alerts. But if you could resolve them in the way that your analysts would and prioritize them according to the mental model they're going to use anyway, kind of after the fact, but you do it at the time of the event, at the time of the transaction, well, then you can build a really scalable system and you can just let the analysts see the ones that are of serious concern. The way I kind of describe that is that's building the physics of the problem space. What does a suspicious event look like? Or what does an insider threat look like? And once I've built that out, then I know how I would use data as it becomes available to determine the degree to which this person looks like an insider threat or the degree to which this looks like a suspicious transaction. So yes, we do have to ultimately connect it to all of that data, but it's not so much learning from the data as uh, watching the data as it changes and as the data changes, then the model updates as well so that the, you know, the beliefs change. So let me give you a really, really simple example. Yeah. We might say that an insider threat would be someone who comes into work at an unusual hour and prints 
documents that they don't usually uh, have access to or wouldn't normally print to an unusual printer. And maybe there's some bunch of other little bitty things too. Now, it turns out that if you just built an alert on printing to an unusual printer, or if you just built an alert on printing a large file, or you just built an alert on came into work after six o'clock, then you'll end up for any large company with lots and lots of alerts that are almost always easily explained. The, the model, it says, well, I would want to know about someone who's potentially thinking about leaving the firm and printing documents and coming into work that unusual hour. But it's all together. I'd love to know that. But now, you know, those are different kinds of data and different kinds of alerts. So we have the model that says, this is how I would fuse that together and how I would reason on it if I knew all of those things and, and maybe even some other things about this employee's performance. And then we have uh, machine learned uh, algorithms that basically say, well, what is the normal times that Brian comes into work? And what are the normal places that he comes into work? What doors does he go through? Uh, what does he normally print? Those are all machine learned from the data. But the way that I combine all those different alerts is a model that, for the most part, is static for a pretty long period of time. It represents you know, what the experts, what analysts really, really believe. Now, we do learn some new things, and we do change our beliefs, and we learn some new indicators. For the most part, those models stay pretty stable, even though the data is changing constantly. That's Brian Ware from Haystacks. In industry news, Akamai has announced that it's completed its acquisition of Nominium. Trend Micro announced that it's bought Immunio, a company that specializes in application security. It's thought that Trend Micro sees the acquisition as a way of moving its hybrid cloud security offerings into the DevOps market. Tama Bravo is taking Barracuda Networks private. The private equity firm paid $1.6 billion for the company. Some analysts think this will be good for both buyer and seller. Barracuda may become more focused and agile, and Tama Bravo may have picked up a business the markets tended to undervalue. And finally, there's been another international indictment in the U.S., this one of three Chinese nationals associated with the APT-3 cyber spying operation. The operation is also called Boyusek, short for the Guangzhou Boyu Information Technology Company, a contractor for the Ministry of State Security that's known for domestic surveillance of targets in Hong Kong. The U.S. regards the firm as basically a front for an espionage operation. The indictment charges the three Boyusek workers with theft of intellectual property belonging to Western aerospace and defense firms. The indictment mentions theft from Trimble, Siemens, and Moody's Analytics. And how did they get indicted? Through the hard work of the Pittsburgh FBI office. Alien Vault's Chris Doman reached out to us to share his appreciation for the Pittsburgh field office's work. He said, quote, It's not a surprise this indictment comes from the FBI's Pittsburgh office. They have been very aggressive at going after cyber criminals. End quote. We agree. And to the Steel City G-Men, Yins are doing a great job. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. 
In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Emily Wilson. She's the Director of Analysis at Terbium Labs. Uh, Emily, uh, you were at a conference recently where uh, the subject of the privacy of children came up, and it led to an interesting discussion. Don't you share with us uh, what happened? I was at uh, Cybersecurity Week in the Netherlands, and someone in the audience in in a discussion raised the point that kids these days don't care about their data. Kids don't care. They're just giving all of their data away for free. Right. And one of the panelists pushed back on that, I thought appropriately, saying, you know, we have protections in place for plenty of other aspects uh, aspects of kids' lives. We don't allow them to drive or to drink or to vote or to join the military until they are old enough to understand the implications and the consequences of their actions. So why are we treating data privacy like it's something different? And it is a hard thing to figure out how to solve, right? Partially because plenty of organizations are are and have been collecting data on children for years. And we've already seen, you know, some you know, some some companies that specialize in devices for children having data breaches. But it's also, I don't think it's fair to characterize it as Kids today don't care about their data when plenty of adults don't understand the implications of all of the data that they're sharing either. And we, have, we sort of have this generational divide where the people who are setting policy are not digital natives. To, so this sort of thing isn't reflexive to them. It isn't reflexive, but I also, and, and this was another point that one of the panelists made, we can't wait to look at best practices and regulations and data privacy and think about how this is impacting adults and children alike until we have digital natives uh, in office or in positions of authority to help influence policy. You know, these are decisions that we need to be making now. And I think the other question, something that I think about a lot, is you know, when and how are we going to start seeing uh, the fallout from some of this data? And not just data that's being shared, not just data that you're you know, putting in to sign up for, for some app, but... You know, in the work that I do, I am lucky enough to be working uh, away from some of the more unpleasant uh, parts of the dark web where children are exploited more directly. But I do see plenty of data leaks involving children. And I mean children, not university students. I mean children, whether this is 
uh, social security numbers of children being sold or data leaks from elementary schools. It's it's awful to see. So we can understand beyond the the obvious, you know, the horrific things, the child exploitation, that sort of thing. Is there a particular value of uh, you know um, personal identification of a PII of a child? In some cases, right now, yes. The uh, the social security numbers, for example, very useful for uh, tax fraud for specific types of tax fraud. Hmm. In other cases, and honestly, this is the the part that makes it worse, is that. People don't particularly care who data belongs to or where it comes from as long as they can use it. And so you may have, you know, the information for a 17-year-old being mixed in with the information for a 45-year-old. And, you know, the difference is that one of those people is going to be checking their credit score more regularly. And so the the 10-year-old who gets their information breach may not know there was ever a problem until they're 16 and try to get a driver's license or 18 and try to get a credit card and... The other information's been out there for a decade. Exactly. And that's the kind of thing that I don't think we are seeing yet at scale. But I imagine we will start to see over the next, call it 10 years. And I don't know what that's going to look like. And I don't think many other people do either. But it's a question that's beginning to be raised. And I think that's good. All right. Emily Wilson, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Listeners, we're always looking for ways to improve the N2K CyberWire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com slash survey and share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. 
SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 